Let me be completely honest with you. I'm really glad that Jeff's not here this morning. I'm glad that Jeff's not here because the fact is there's something that I've been dying to tell you. A couple of things, actually. The first one is something that you really, really, really need to know about Jeff. The fact is, friends, if Jeff ever asks you to play him in a game of squash, don't do it. <laughs> He's the biggest cheat I know. <laughs> seriously, seriously. It's really, it's really quite disturbing. The other thing that I... Don't tell him I told you that, will you? Please. The other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, Jeff, is this. Have you ever noticed that Jeff is really, really, really big on this idea that the way we get right with God is through faith and not through works. Have you noticed that? I mean, he goes on about it every single week. It's not, faith, it's not work, but faith. It's not work, but faith. On and on and on, again and again and again. Have you noticed that? Well, the fact is, I don't think it's just Jeff. The Bible colleges, they're churning out men and women who these days are teaching... It's not by works that we are saved, it's by faith that we're saved. And my dad tells me that when he was growing up in his Presbyterian church, that he was taught that the way that you get right with God well, it was a bit different. He, he would go to church and there the minister would tell him uh, that it was more to do with the good things that you do that you get right with God. So for him, it was the obvious things. It was, you know, don't swear, uh, obey the Ten Commandments, uh, make sure you go to church every week, and you'll be right. Well, that it wasn't teaching faith, not works. He, he didn't hear that teaching until much later in his life. And it's not just my dad. I've heard other people telling me that their experience uh, of Sunday school was turning up and the Sunday school teacher uh, asking them what sins that they've committed during the week and then the Sunday school teacher telling them, well, to stop that, otherwise they're going to go to hell. Well, that certainly isn't faith not works. Sure, it's motivationally very effective, but um, it certainly isn't faith not works. I've heard other people say, not here but elsewhere, other people saying that you know, they were used to the experience of turning up to church and hearing the preacher would tell them the things that they should be doing during the week and then they would go and try hard to do those things. That wasn't faith, not works. So I guess the obvious question is this. How long has this faith, not works idea been around for? Exactly how new of a teaching is it? Well, in this morning's passage, we're going to see that this idea of faith, not works... It's no new teaching at all. It's been around for a long time, a very, very, very long time. So have, if you haven't already, please open up your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 4. That's page 797 of the small print or 1751 of the large print Bibles. Romans chapter 4. Now you'll remember that Romans is a letter. A letter written by the Apostle Paul, a letter written to the new church in Rome. A church made up of Gentile Christians, a church made up of Jewish Christians. And so far in this letter, 
over the past few weeks, we've heard how the Apostle Paul has been stressing that there is no one, not a single person, who can stand as righteous before God. Why? Because we're all sinners. We've heard that the law, that the good works that are available to us, well, none of them will ever get us right with God. Why? Because none of us can keep the law. And then last week, we heard the way that we can get right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember chapter 3, verse 22? This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, I imagine that some of the Christians in Rome who were reading this letter, particularly the Jewish Christians, would probably have considered this faith not works idea as some new teaching, a new way to get right with God, something different to the way it was in the Old Testament. But the whole point of Paul in chapter 4 of Romans is him telling them that this faith not works idea is by no means a new teaching. And to show them this, Paul gets his readers to consider a man who would have been very, very familiar to his readers. Paul gets them to consider Abraham. Why Abraham? Well, think about it for a moment. To a Jew, Abraham is the most important of people. He's, after all, the father of the Jewish nation. Therefore, it would have been the actions of Abraham that defined the members of the true people of God. You have to conclude that whatever way it was that Abraham got right with God would be the same way that every Jew thereafter would get right with God. So how did Abraham come into a right relationship with God? Well, I reckon if we had have asked a Jew in Paul's day, they would have said that Abraham came into a relationship with God through his good works. And let's face it, Abraham was a really, really good guy. Think about it. Here is a man who left his home country, who left his home, his family, his friends, his culture, and went off to a distant land. Uh, an unknown land. Why did he do that? Well, he did it in obedience to God. Here is a man who was prepared to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. Why did he do that? Well, he did it in obedience to God. Here is a man who had himself circumcised. Why? in eye-watering obedience to God. It's true, if anybody could be made right with God on the basis of obedience to God, on the basis of being good, then Abraham was the man. And so the Jews concluded, Abraham was made right with God, acceptable to God, because he was obedient to God. So we too will be accepted accepted by God through our obedience to God. And so now in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul asks the obvious question, chapter 4, verse 1, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? 
In other words, what would Abraham make of this whole idea of faith not works? Verse 2. If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was the best of the best of the best. If you're brought into relationship with God through obedience, then Abraham had more to boast about than any other person. But he could never have boasted before God. Why not? Because the fact is, people can't be made right with God through their good works. Yet Abraham was right with God. So how can that be? How was that the case? Well, we're told, look again, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Take that in. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What does that mean? Well, we need to keep in mind that as we're reading our Bibles and as we're particularly reading the Old Testament, that when we come across these words, believe, trust, rely or faith, that they're actually all the same word in the original Greek. So let me put it another way. Abraham believed God. In other words, he trusted God. He relied on God. He had faith in God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. So exactly what did Abraham believe God or trust God for? We had that passage or those two passages read for us by Jason earlier on. Those chapters from Genesis, Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. And there we saw the promise, didn't we? A promise made by God to Abraham that he would give him and his wife Sarah children and that somehow God would bless the world as a result. That was the promise that was made to Abraham. Now don't ever underestimate the importance of that promise It is the great promise of the Bible. Remember how in the beginning, Adam lost that blessed relationship that people had with God. Well, it was to Abraham that God promised to reverse the curse, to restore that relationship between people and God. He promised that all people again would be blessed and that this would somehow happened through Abraham having a great family. The point is this. Abraham believed God, he took God at his word, and so he was credited with righteousness, made right with God. It wasn't his obedience, it wasn't his works, it was his belief, his trust, his reliance, his faith. Righteousness was not earned, it was a gift. But... It's not like Abraham was uh, in some way an anomaly, uh, an exception in the history of Israel. I mean, even great King David found the same thing. You see there in verse 7 how Paul uh, quotes from one of David's psalms. It's Psalm 32. Listen as I read it and see if you can pick out what contribution it was that David made to his being credited with righteousness from verse 7. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, 
whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. What'd you come up with? What great contribution did uh, David make to his being credited with righteousness? What wonderful piece of work? None. He made no contribution. Well, he did. He contributed his own sin. But not even great King David could work for his righteousness because righteousness is a gift from a God who forgives, a gift given to those who trust in him and his promises. So what have we seen? Okay, we've seen that Abraham was made right with God through his faith. We've seen that great King David was made right with God through his faith. And now Paul's going to go on and he's going to say that through this same faith, all people of the world, all the peoples of the world can be made right with God. Not just Jews, but Gentiles too. Read with me from verse 9. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised, that is, to Jews alone, or also for the uncircumcised, for non-Jews? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. He pulls asking is this blessedness, this forgiveness of sins, this righteousness available to, to Jews alone or to Gentiles too? And he says, no, well, of course it's available to Gentiles too. Why? Because at the time when Abraham received the promise from God... He was effectively still a Gentile. He hadn't been circumcised yet. So the important thing in being credited with righteousness, it can't be being a Jew, it can't be circumcision. The important thing in being credited with righteousness is faith. Trust in God and his promises. And that includes anyone who trusts. That's why Father can, uh, Abraham can now be called the father not just of Jews who trust in God, but also of Gentiles who trust in God. Have you put your faith in God and his promises? Have you stopped trying to impress God and yourself with your supposedly good deeds? Have you chosen to trust in God alone for righteousness? Well, if so, then... You, like the kids in Sunday school, can rightly sing, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons did Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. Let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, etc., etc. Abraham is now our father, not because we carry his genes, not because his blood pumps through our veins, but because, like him, we don't trust in our good works, we trust in God and his promises. So God's promises are based on faith, not law. And believe me when I say that that is a very, very, very good thing. Imagine for a moment what it would be like if those promises that God made to Abraham 
were dependent on Abraham actually keeping the law. Imagine what it would be like if we had to keep the law in order to receive the benefits of that promise. The promise would be as good as worthless, wouldn't it? Because none of us can keep the law. We've been told that time and time again. The law only serves to highlight our sin. This is Paul's point from verse 13. Verse 13. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless. Because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, thankfully, this promise that God made to Abraham, it was, what, some 430 years before the law even came into existence. So it can't be based on law. And at that point, even if we do transgress the law, even if we don't do good works then the promise of God can never be nullified. And personally, I take great delight in this. Why? Because I know myself. I know my sin. I know that I fail to live up to God's perfect standard. I'm, I'm less than perfect. I'm way less than perfect. So I'm just so thankful that God credits me with righteousness as a gift. And that's why I have such confidence that I'm going to heaven. Because my salvation is no way dependent on me. It's a gift from God. So it's guaranteed. And so at this point, Paul needs to redefine what the people of God are for those Jews in that church in Rome. Those Jews in that church in Rome who have had the wrong idea. So from verse 16. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of the nations. He is our Father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. See, the Jews who sat in that church in Rome, well, Paul is here saying, you're all part of the one family. You're all part of the one family of faith. The same family that those of us here this morning who trust in God are a part of. And so the key is that we trust God and his promises. But let's face it, let's be honest again and admit that sometimes it's much easier to say that than to do it. Sometimes it can be difficult to put our trust in God and his promises. There's no way it could have been easy for Abraham. Think, here is a man who is, what, 100 years old? His wife, Sarah, well, she couldn't have been much younger. She's a woman who's been barren all of her life. They've not been able to have a child. And now, at this stage of their life, God says, Abraham, you're going to have a child. 
please. Humanly speaking, it would be ridiculous for Adam to Abraham to think that Sarah was going to have a baby now. Even with all of our today's, all of today's modern technology, IVF technologies, the oldest lady who's ever had a child is 67. That was this year. 4,000 years ago. What hope was there? And so what does Abraham do? Verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Everything in human experience must have been screaming out to Abraham, you will never have a child, old man. And yet Abraham heard God's promise. He drew near into his presence and he believed the promise. Why? Because he was a senile old man? No. He did so on account of who God is. The one who created the universe from nothing. The God of infinite power and goodness. Abraham looked at who it was that was making the promise and he was fully persuaded. God had said it and that was good enough for Abraham. Yet it's important to notice that this experience of Abraham is written for us as an example. We too trust in God and his promises and so we too are credited with righteousness. What promise of God's is it that we trust in? Well, believe it or not, it's actually the same promise that was given to Abraham. Remember that God promised Abraham a great big family and that somehow that family, through that family, the whole world would be blessed? That the, whole, that the, the, rever- the curse that was given to Adam would be reversed? Well, that's exactly the same promise in which we trust. The only difference is that this blurry, fuzzy promise that was given to Abraham has come into focus for us in the coming of Jesus Christ. From verse 23. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. We know that when God promised Abraham that great big family, that he already had in his mind that one of Abraham's descendants would be Jesus. And it would be through Jesus' substitutionary death and through his resurrection that sin could be dealt with once and for all. Abraham didn't have all these details. But you and I do. 
And so in a very real way, you and I have even more reason to be fully persuaded that God is able to keep his promises. Because in Jesus' death and resurrection, we've been able to see God's power and his goodness and his trustworthiness at its clearest. That's why when human experience tells us that God's promises are nonsense, then we, like Abraham, need to keep in mind the power and the goodness of the one who is making those promises. When we're confronted with our own sinfulness and the thoughts of, how could God ever forgive me for that? Well then, trust in God and his promises. As things in our lives go terribly, terribly wrong and Satan sneers at us, your God doesn't love you. Well then, trust God and his promises. As we draw ever closer to our own deaths and we wonder, is there really anything beyond the grave? Then, Trust God and his promises. Like Abraham, remember God's power. Remember his goodness. Remember the power and goodness of that God who in fulfilling his promises not only brought life from the deadness of a womb but has brought life from the deadness of a tomb. I ask you, is there anybody else that you would want to put your trust in? And so in conclusion, all this faith not work stuff that we hear week in and week out, it's not some Jeff Reed invention, is it? It's not some modern phenomenon. It's the way it was even when the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans. No, it's the way it was even when King David wrote the book of Psalms. No, It's the way it was at the dawn of salvation history when Abraham walked the the earth and God promised to bless the world through him. Faith, trust, rely, believe. That's the way. The one way to get right with God and it's the way that it's always been. And yes, praise God, Even my dad came to realise this. Who do you think it was that taught it to me? When the going gets tough and all human experience tells us not to believe God, what do we do? Well, at those times we call to mind God's infinite power and goodness. We call to mind God's faithfulness to Abraham. We remember God's faithfulness in sending his son Jesus to die for our sins And his faithfulness in raising him from the grave. And then we can't help but be convinced that our trust is in a God who is so totally, so utterly, so absolutely trustworthy. Please pray with me. Our Father, we thank you that even way back in the time of Abraham you had a plan to rescue your people to bless them and reverse the curse of Adam. We thank you that when Abraham trusted you and your promise that you credited him with righteousness, 
We thank you that like Abraham, we too are credited with righteousness when we trust in you. Thank you that we live in a time in history where we can see how your great promise has been fulfilled in the coming of Abraham's descendant, Jesus, that in him we may find true blessing, the forgiveness of sins and righteousness before you, our great God. We thank you this morning for our minister, Jeff Reed, who so often reminds us of the great truth that we have, that we can only be made right with you through faith and not through our works. Lord, keep Jeff faithful in this teaching. And Father, finally, help us. Help us to be faithful. Even when the going gets tough and all human experience tells us that we're wrong, help us to remember who you are, the God of power and goodness, the God who is so worthy of our trust. In Jesus' name, amen.